0: So good to see you guys every week. So glad to see you. So glad for those of you who are tuned in online. We're just so happy you can be a part of us with our current study called Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Now, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, uh, right now you find yourself in week three of a mini-series within Matthew's gospel on the topic of true and false disciples. The Bible teaches us that on judgment day, Jesus is going to give charge to the angels to go ahead and separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the chaff. And that simply means that on judgment day, Jesus is going to charge the angels with the task of separating those who truly belong to Jesus from those who claim to belong to Jesus, but in reality do not. And in this series, we are studying the four different illustrations that Jesus gives to help us know who truly belongs to him. The four illustrations are as follows. First, you have the narrow gate versus the wide gate. Then you have the good fruit versus the bad fruit. Then you have the claim versus the reality. And finally, you have the solid rock versus the shifting sand. And in these four different illustrations, what we have are two gates, two trees, two claims, and two foundations. And Jesus is looking to see what decision we make concerning each of these four illustrations. So he's looking to see which gate are they entering through. He's looking to see which kind of fruit do they bear in their life. He's looking to see what kind of claim do they make. And most importantly, he's looking to see which of the two foundations are we building our life upon. So in each week of this series, Jesus has been calling us to a decision and our choice is of the two options reveals to God, it reveals to ourselves, and it reveals to others whether we are true or false. So, again, if you're new, that's an overview of the series that we're in right now in Matthew's gospel. And now that you have the overview of the entire series, let's jump into uh, the text we're studying today. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And in our passage today, the theme is that of the claim versus the reality. Again, our theme today is the claim versus reality. Guys, I can claim to be 6'4", all right? But there's the claim, and then there's the reality. Likewise, I could claim to have a green thumb, All right, but let me show you a picture of the recent zinnias I tried to grow in my yard to attract honeybees. All right, I can claim all I want, but this picture shows the reality. Now, ladies, I know none of you here at New Day would ever do this, but I actually know ladies at other churches okay, who claim to only be 36 years old but there's gotta be a difference between the claim and the reality because they've been claiming to be 36 years old for the last 17 years, all right? So there's the claim and there's the reality. Parents, uh, do you just take your kid's word for it when you ask them, is your room clean? And they claim that it is, or do you go inspect? No, we we go inspect, and why do we do that? Because so often there's a discrepancy between what we claim and, and what the truth actually is. Well, this is exactly the reality that Jesus is drawing our attention to in the text we're studying today. Now, right before I read it to you, I want to say this. If someone said to me, Mike, you have one more sermon to preach to New Day Church, and and after that, you will never have an opportunity ever again to preach to them or to anyone else. You have one text to select and to preach on. I tell you the truth before God, I would choose the passage we are studying today. That is how important I believe uh, this passage is for us to understand and appropriately respond to. So understanding the the gravity and the importance uh, of our text today, let me go ahead and, and read it to you now. Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23, and here Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, Jesus, look at all this stuff we did for you. But verse 23 And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Today we're going to dive into this text, but right before we do, we have to get the setting right. For those of you who enjoy Star Wars movies, you know that each movie begins with scrolling text to give the viewer the setting So that when the action takes place, you're not lost and you know what's going on because you've been given the context. The the setting has been shared with you. Well, today's passage is one of those passages where we have to understand the context. We have to get the setting right if we're going to make any sense of what Jesus says. So in our passage, Jesus refers to, he says, on that day. And then he tells us what it will be like on that day. But the question begs, on what day? And that's where we're going to begin. The setting, friends, is the great white throne judgment, which is still yet a future event. And what Jesus is describing to us in our passage is what will be a very common occurrence on the day of the great white throne judgment. Now, we haven't covered End Times material uh, in the last few months, so I want to begin today with a little refresher course on what's up with the Great White Throne Judgment. So grab your lesson notes if you're taking notes, and I'll help you grasp this concept. If you're taking notes, when someone dies apart from Christ without having trusted Jesus to forgive their sins, number one, the Bible tells us they are sent to the place of the dead to await the great white throne judgment. Now, friends, in the Old Testament, the place of the dead is called Sheol. In the New Testament, the place of the dead is called Hades, but the two different names refer to the exact same place, the place that the unbelieving person goes, the place that their spirit goes to, to await the future great white throne judgment. And every unbelieving person who has died since the time of Adam and Eve all the way up to the present day have been sent to this place of the dead, uh, to Hades in the New Testament, to Sheol in the Old Testament, two different names for the same place. They have gone there to await the future day of judgment, the great white throne judgment. So that's number one. Number two, at the great white throne judgment, the unbeliever will be sentenced by God. And we read of this great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 13, where the apostle John recounts uh, his vision of the great white throne judgment. And here's what John recounts. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. So for this judgment, God will call the spirit of each unbelieving person who died apart from Christ, and he will have them stand before him for sentencing, having rejected God's offer to let Jesus take the punishment for sin upon himself on the cross, the person will be sentenced to take the punishment for sin upon themselves. And finally, after sentencing, number three, the unbeliever will spend all eternity serving his sentence. We read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 to 15, then, meaning after sentencing, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, Hades is the place of the dead. It's where the unbelieving spirits go. On judgment day, God's going to call those spirits from Hades and sentence them to eternity in the lake of fire, which we call hell. But all of this to say, what Jesus is describing in our passage is what will be a common occurrence at the great white throne judgment. And now that you have the setting, now and only now are we ready to go ahead and study our text. So let's do that. The first thing that we see in our text is what we're going to call uh, the qualification. The qualification. The qualification. And we see the qualification in verse 21, where where Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one, meaning only the one, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So friends, we know that Matthew wrote his gospel to reveal that Jesus is the great king that God promised to send in the world who would one day rule over an eternal kingdom. That's why we've called this series, Christ the the King. Because Jesus is that king who God has appointed to rule over an eternal kingdom. And here in verse 21, Jesus is giving the qualification for who will get the privilege of living as a citizen in the kingdom that Jesus will rule over forever. I mean, at the time of the second coming of Christ, God the Father will crown Jesus king. He will come to earth. He'll overthrow the kingdom of Antichrist and he will establish a kingdom of his own. The Bible tells us that he will rule over this kingdom for a thousand years here on earth and then relocate that kingdom to the new heavens and the new earth where he will rule forever as king over his citizens. And again, here in verse 21, we see the qualification, who qualifies to get to live forever as a citizen in the kingdom that Jesus will rule over forever. And Jesus says, it's not those who call me Lord, it's those who actually make me Lord that will get to live forever in my kingdom. Now, we got to understand this concept of, of Lord. In the Bible, you'll often see Jesus referred to by the dual title, Lord and Savior. And it's important to know this. Every single time that dual title appears, Lord appears first, then Savior. You will never see Jesus called Savior and Lord. You will only see him called Lord and Savior. And the placing of these two names is very important. That Lord comes first is very important. What it tells us is this, if Jesus is not Lord, he is not Savior. And that's so important for us to understand. Now, another way of saying Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus is King. And as we know, a king is sovereign. A king is a mighty ruler. A king gives out commands and the true subjects of the kingdom uh, obey and submit to the commands of their king. And that's the case with Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's our Sovereign. And He wants to rule over our lives, and He expects to be obeyed. Now, our King rules through the pages of Scripture. The person who will live forever in the eternal kingdom of Christ studies God's Word, so that he can align his life with what's written there in the text. If the person's to be married, he looks to the Word of God to see what God's will is concerning marriage. If he's to have children, he studies God's Word to see what God says about raising kids. And he aligns his life with the Word of God. In, in, in his values, in his morals, and in, in his worldview, they've all been informed by Scripture. Scripture. When in his daily quiet time he reads something and then realizes that his life is out of sync with the word of God, he confesses his sin and he asks for God's help for his life to come in line and to come into conformity with God's will as revealed in his word. He looks to the word of God to determine what activities should be a part of his life, as well as to learn what activities should not be a part of his life. He is faithful to put himself in environments where the word of God is taught, whether it be a Sunday service like this or in a small group throughout the week. Any environment where he can learn more about God's word and what it means and what it requires of us as disciples of Jesus, he is eager to be in any such environment. His life is characterized by a burning passion to learn God's word and obey it. And daily, he prays for God's help concerning obedience. He prays the prayer Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He says, Heavenly Father, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the burning desire of his heart. Obedience to the word of God. And friends, this is practically speaking how Jesus reigns and rules as king over our lives. His commands are found in scripture. And when we obey, we show God that Jesus truly is Lord or king over our life. So Jesus is saying simply referring to him as Lord, that is not enough. He must actually reign and we must actually come under his lordship. Sadly, though, this is the very thing that many Christians refuse to do, right? You look at many people who go by the the name Christian. They go by the name of Christ. But you look at their life, and they're not letting God's word guide their marriage. They're not letting God's word uh, guide how they uh, raise their children. They're not uh, abiding by God's word uh, concerning their finances. And this is precisely why Jesus says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Not everyone who calls me, Lord, will actually enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone will be granted access to live as a citizen forever in the kingdom of heaven. It's only those whose lives are characterized by obedience. Not perfect obedience. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. But Jesus says the qualification is a life characterized by obedience. That's the qualification. And now that you've seen the qualification, I want you to see secondly what we're gonna call the protestation. We saw the qualification in verse 21, and now we see the protestation in verse 22, where Jesus says of the great white throne judgment. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And what we see here in verse 22 is this. We see a bunch of people who realize that by Jesus' standard, the standard of obedience, they do not qualify for entrance into the eternal kingdom of Christ. And what we see in verse 22 is we see them protesting Judge Jesus' eternal decision. Pointing to various examples of religious activity that they say, in effect, but Jesus, what about this? I mean, Jesus went around prophesying, speaking on God's behalf. Jesus went around casting out demons. Jesus went around doing mighty works, which is a reference to miracles. And these works of Jesus, uh, I think, typify religious activity. And so when they say that he did these things, they're they're saying, Jesus, I participated in religious activity. Lord, Lord, shouldn't this count for something? Lord, Lord, you should definitely grant me entrance into your kingdom. But as we'll see shortly, all such protesting is to no avail. And friends, if if there is ever a sobering truth uh, given in Scripture It is the truth we are given here. This just pierced my soul. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it's just, it is so sobering what Jesus is saying here. Let me me put it into modern day vernacular, okay? Uh, Some people attend church each week. Sometimes they give in order to financially support the gospel preaching ministry of their local church. Maybe they're in a small group. Uh, Maybe they've signed up to be on a serving team, and maybe they've even gone on a missions trip. Yet in between these religious activities, their life is characterized by disobedience. Their life is not in conformity with the will of their king as revealed in scripture. And such people Will one day find themselves at the great white throne judgment and they will protest to judge Jesus. And they'll say, But Lord, Lord, I attended church each week. I gave some money. I joined a small group. I joined a serving team. Lord, I even went on a missions trip. Shouldn't this count for something? Lord, you should definitely grant me entrance. And and the sad reality is this, there will be pastors and missionaries right alongside uh, everyone else protesting just the same. But Lord, I founded and, and led a Christian ministry. And God, we did all kinds of good Christian things. And Lord, through my ministry, many people came to know you. But it will all be to no avail. Because religious activity is not the qualification For who will enter the kingdom of heaven? A life characterized by obedience is the qualification. So the question begs, how will Jesus on that day, uh, on the day where the great white throne judgment takes place, how will Jesus respond to such protestation? Well, that leads us to the third and final thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the declaration. And this is where Jesus declares... Uh, his response to the people who are protesting. And we see the declaration uh, in verse 23. And then, meaning after hearing the protests, and then, will I declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, when Jesus says, I never knew you, does that mean he didn't know you exist? He didn't know about your existence? No. When Jesus says, I never knew you, the sense is, I never knew you as one of my disciples in the same way that you never knew me as Lord. I did not have that kind of relationship with you. And it's in that sense that he says, I never knew you. So after saying I never knew you as one of my disciples in the same way that you never knew me as Lord, Jesus says this, depart from me. And the question begs, what does that mean? Is Jesus just saying, hey, I just don't want to see you right now, like head over into the waiting room. You know, like, like what does that mean when he says depart from me? I had to do some study to figure out, hey, what does this mean? And as we continue reading Matthew's gospel, we find the answer in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, where here Jesus also says, depart from me, but then explains what he means. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So when Jesus says depart to the person who claimed to be a disciple, but who proved by their actions that in reality they were not, when he says depart to them, they depart to go serve their sentence, which is an eternity in the lake of fire that was originally prepared for the devil and his angels, but will double as the eternal abode for all who rejected Jesus as Lord. Man. What a sobering reality. Now, I realize that a sermon like this can cause a lot of anxiety, even for those who are truly disciples of Jesus. I mean, the true disciple of Jesus right now might be thinking, oh no, I I sinned last Wednesday. I was tempted. I gave in. Now I realize I shouldn't have. I am scared to death. Am I a false disciple? Will I be at the great white throne judgment? And will I hear, I never knew you? Depart from me? Will I realize such an awful sentencing? And fear can just flood our hearts sometimes when we hear a message like this. If that's you, first of all, I would say that because you are concerned, it is very likely that you are a true disciple of Jesus. False disciples don't really have such a concern over their eternal soul. But second, I would say this I want to share with you some comforting words. Jesus, in our text, gives the basis for telling someone, I never knew you, depart from me. And the basis for such a declaration is that a person was a worker of lawlessness. Now, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, grammatically, a worker of lawlessness, it's in the present participle, which indicates continuous action, regular ongoing action. So a person who is condemned, uh, as described in the text, is not someone who is condemned for the occasional error. Rather, is condemned for consistent wrongdoing. This is the person who has rejected God's word as their standard of living. Hence, they are characterized by Jesus by living a lawless life. So understand... Jesus is not referring to the person who has adopted the word of God as his standard of living who sometimes fails to live up to that standard. That's not what we're talking about. Friends, no matter how much you love God, you're still going to struggle with sin on this side of eternity. Amen? Amen? That's just the truth. It's not one we like, but it's the truth. As we learned in our study last year, uh, through the New Testament book we call Romans, though our spirit has been redeemed and now desires to say no to sin and yes to God, guys, our flesh, our bodies have not been redeemed. And our spirit lives in our body. So yes, we've been made into a new creation. Our spirit has been redeemed. Our spirit desires to say no to sin, yes to God. But our spirit lives in a body that has been thoroughly and irreparably corrupted by sin. So in our flesh, we always have a pull towards sin. And for that reason, on this side of eternity, we will always, unfortunately, at times, give in to sin. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul says that our, our spirit and our flesh, they wrestle against each other so that sometimes we do not do what we want to do. I like how the apostle John puts it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So do not think, oh my goodness, I sinned this week. Oh my goodness, sometimes I mess up and I, you know, that is the normal experience for every single follower of Jesus. So again, perfection is not the standard. God's looking at direction, not perfection. He's looking to see overall if our lives are characterized by obedience. He's not looking at one thing and saying, oh, here's my standard, you fell short, you're a false disciple on judgment day, you're going to hear from me, I never knew you, depart from me. No, that's not how it works. On this side of eternity, we will always struggle with sin until the day where we die and then are resurrected. At the resurrection... We get a redeemed body that sin can have no influence over. So friends, do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference between someone who adopts the word of God as their standard of living, who sometimes fails to live up to that standard. There's a difference between that person and then the person who has not adopted the word of God as their standard of living and doesn't live up to it and doesn't care about it. These are two different groups of people. So here's the real test. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you appointed him Lord over your life? Have you accepted the word of God as the standard for your life? Do you eagerly search the scriptures to learn God's will? And do you accept God's word as the standard for morality? In other words, do you let God's word tell you what's right and wrong? When you fail to live up to God's standard, do you recognize it as sin and confess it as sin and ask for God's forgiveness? And do you work to try to avoid falling into that sin again? Friends, if so, you are a true disciple of Jesus on the authority of God's word, and you need not fear hearing, I never knew you, depart from me. Far from hearing that, you'll never even be at the great white throne judgment you'll be at the judgment for believers, which is called the Bema seat or also the judgment seat of Christ. But on the other hand, If you've only asked Jesus to be your savior so you don't go to hell, but you have not appointed him Lord or king over your life, and if you have not adopted scripture as the standard by which your life will be governed, and if you adopt the values and morals and worldview of the godless culture we live in, and if you don't care about living up to God's standard, and you're not even trying to do so, and if you don't care when your life is found to be contrary to the word of God, and you don't ask for forgiveness, and you have no interest in trying to change, and you're okay continuing to live in your disobedience, obedience to God, yet you claim to be a Christian. On the authority of God's word, you will stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment. And sadly and tragically, you will hear, I never knew you, depart from me. So friends, do you see the difference? I say all this to comfort those who are true disciples of Jesus. Because all too often, disciples of Jesus wrongly conclude, I sinned. I'm false. I'm on the trajectory to hell. And the last thing I would ever want is for you to think like, I'm not living in victory uh, over sin as much as I would like. I might as well give up and just fully give in to sin because I'm not going to make it anyway. No, don't let that be the case. Now now, friends, we have to ask ourselves as we begin to close, how ought we to appropriately respond to Jesus' teaching? He's told us that everyone who calls him Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's told us that religious activity is not the standard by which he will one day judge. He's told us that we need to prove by our life of obedience that we have genuine saving faith. And now we have to ask ourselves, well, how ought we to respond to his teaching? And I think the appropriate response is to do uh, some soul searching. The Apostle Paul once asked the Christians at the church in Corinth to do some soul searching. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, we read this. Paul exhorted them. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, you need to test yourselves. And friends, because we have other sections of Scripture, uh, we know how to test ourselves. So let's do this. You didn't even know. You were coming to church today, and you're going to get a test. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud or raise your hand, but I do want, to, I, I do want you to go ahead and grade yourself. Did, did I pass? Did I, did I fail? Did I pass? Did I fail? Test number one. Have you appointed Jesus Lord and Savior or only Savior? Have you been interested in Jesus saving you from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death, physical and spiritual, but not appointed him Lord over your life. Again, if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. So did you pass? Did you fail? Is Jesus Lord and Savior or only Savior? Did you pass? Did you fail? Answer that in your heart before God. Test number two, is your interest to obey God's word or merely learn it? I used to share my faith in high school all the time. And there was this one kid, James, I love to talk to. And he was so interested in learning the word of God. Just at that time had no interest in obeying what he learned. That's how it is for many people. I wish so bad that my interest in obedience was as great as my interest in learning what God's word means. It's so much easier to be interested in what it says and what it means than it is in being interested to obey what we're commanded. Where are you at with that? Did you pass the test? Did you fail the test? Test number three is this. Have you adopted the values, morals, and worldview taught in Scripture or the morals, values, and worldview taught in our godless culture? A little while back, it was Pride Month. And while every single person in the world deserves dignity and respect due to the fact that they're created in the image of God, there are some things that as believers we just can't go along with and can't support. Do you claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, yet you threw on a pin or a bracelet or went with the flow and just, you know, whatever, because, because that's what culture does, and you've adopted the values and the cultures of the world we live in. What about a recent Supreme Court ruling related to abortion? There was many people just going, oh my goodness, this is, this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. A woman has the right. Where were you at with that? How did you respond to that? What was going on internally in your heart in response to that? Were you going with the flow of the culture? Or as a Christian who's appointed Jesus as king and ruler of your life, who's revealed his will in his word, have you surrendered that area to your life, to the lordship of Christ? The Bible says murder's wrong no matter how you try to justify it, this and that and the other. Where are you at? Have you adopted the values, the morals, and the worldview taught in Scripture? Or have you adopted the morals and values and worldview taught in our godless culture? Again, I ask you, before God, answer honestly in your heart, have I passed the test? Have I failed the test? Where am I at today? All right, let's lighten the mood just a little bit by talking about country music. I love country music. Anybody else like country music? Yeah, yee-haw, all right. I love country music, I really do. It puts me in a good mood. I work hard all day and then I get in my car. Sometimes I'll just turn on, the, you know, turn on some, some country tunes. It's, it's happy music. You play a minor note, I get depressed quick. You turn on country music, I'm happy as a lark, you know? I love country music. But here's the one thing I don't like. The one thing I don't like about country music. Contained within country music is a very attractive yet false version of Christianity. I'll give you some for instances, and it's not just in country music, but it is prevalent in country music. In the song, This Is How We Roll, Luke Bryan sings, yeah, we cuss on them Mondays and pray on them Sundays. So we live how we want throughout the week, but we're in church on Sunday. And what's wrong with that? Uh, Florida Georgia Line has a song called Confession. And in that song, they sing about being a little lost and a little found. What? <laughs> we got one foot in the world, and we got the other foot in there with God. And we're just kind of, we're living both. We're enjoying, like, worshiping God and coming to church on a Sunday. We got great fellowship. Maybe you meet a spouse at a great place called church versus a bar. It's awesome, blah, 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 blah. And like, but, but, you know, it's not going to have any bearing on the way we live our life. We're a little lost. We're a little found. It's a mixture of both, and it's fine. What what an attractive version of Christianity, right? I'll give you one more. Uh, Breland has a song called Praise the Lord. You would think you're safe with that one, but here's the lyrics. He says, Praise the Lord for my bartender, turns a single into two. We went crazy out there last night. We need saving in this pew. It's the mixture. Hey, party, live in sin, do whatever you want, abuse alcohol, live the party scene life. Oh, but on, church, on Sunday, you're in church, so you're good, and that's the message, and it's not just because of country music, but country music certainly is going to be a part concerning why Jesus says that on that day, on the day of the great white throne judgment, he says many, not some, not a few, not, not a couple people here and there, he says many will say to me, Lord, Lord. But I'll say to them, I never knew you as my disciple, just like you never knew me as Lord. Friends, let me warn you today, if your faith has not changed the way you live, you have a dead faith, not a saving faith. We show through our obedience that we have passed from death to life. It's not that we're saved by our obedience, no. It's that our obedience proves that we have genuine saving faith. Faith that's different than the faith of demons. Demons believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They too call him Lord. But they certainly don't live a life characterized by obedience. And so though they have faith, it's a dead faith and it's a faith that does not save. But when God sees a life that's marked by obedience, it proves that that you are in possession of genuine saving faith. This is why on that day, at the great white throne judgment, the Apostle John said, I saw books that were opened. What's written in the books? It's the record of our life. And Judge Jesus is going to say, let me review the evidence. And he's going to look to see if there was or was not a pattern of obedience. He's going to look and see if we have adopted the attractive but false version of christianity found in country music and in a lot of other music as well. So friends, my question to you today is simple. Does the way you live confirm that there's a reality behind your claim to be a disciple of Jesus? Or does the way you live deny that you truly belong to Christ. There's two kinds of claim. There's one that's true. There's one that's false. Which claim do you make today? And know this, what claim you make, it's revealing to God if you are true, if you are false. Now friends, we close each service at New Day in prayer because we know that in response to what the Word of God says, we often need to go ahead and get our heart right with God. And so we close in prayer each week. And today we're going to do the, the same. In fact, at this time, I'm going to ask uh, if you'd like to, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? I'm talking to those here in person. I'm talking to those tuned in online. And if you need to, get right with God today. Um, I, I, I don't ask that you would. Honestly, I, I beg you to. Go ahead and take this time to get right with God. Not out loud, but in your heart, maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say, Heavenly Father, today I'm, I'm choosing to trust Jesus to be my Savior, yes, but I am also appointing him Lord of my life. And I happily, from this day forward, with your help, will submit to his rule over my life, By yielding myself and coming into submission to the teaching of Scripture. God, on Judgment Day, I want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant, not, I never knew you depart from me. So, God, I prepare myself now for that day. For as you've told us, on that day, there will be many who come to me with the claim, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple. But for many, there won't be a reality behind the claim. God, I don't want that to be the case with me. So God, I pray for a passion for your word. Help me to read it faithfully, work hard to understand what it means, and most importantly, help me to be careful to consistently obey. God, I know I won't do it perfectly, but help obedience to characterize my life that you might see that I possess genuine, saving faith. God, I need your help. So I pray and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.